if you see how he deals with Trump, my God, it's uh, he can twist Trump around his finger. Clever listener, you're listening to The Commute, and I'm Jessica Van Anselen. Today we're carrying on our interview with Professor Irina Filatova, an expert on South African-Russian relations, and co-author of the book The Hidden Thread, Russian South Africa in the Soviet Era. In part one of our interview with Irina, which is in episode one if you want to find it, we discussed the ANC's history of support from the USSR under apartheid, and how many of the Soviet ideas from the 1960s and 70s still feature heavily in the ANC's thinking. Even today in 2018... The focus of part two of the interview today is one of my favorite politicians, Vladimir Putin. Researching Putin yields an array of images that, once you've viewed them on YouTube, cannot be unseen. In case you didn't already know, Putin puts a lot of emphasis on being manly. There's Putin doing butterfly in a freezing Siberian river. There's Putin putting out wildfires while flying a plane. There he is riding a horse shirtless. There's Putin handling Siberian tigers. And there's his 2008 video called Let's Learn Judo with Vladimir Putin. I shit you not. When Putin is not meddling in foreign elections or ordering nerve gas attacks on his enemies, we know he's missing his bestie, Jacob Zuma, who is, sadly, no longer president. I asked Irina to tell me a little bit more about Russia under Putin and how South Africa fits into Russia's worldview. In South Africa today, we have this. We ha we still have a leadership that's very much thinking and referring to that training in the in the USSR. But if I pivot over and I look at Russia, it seems to me that Russia today is starting to demonstrate an interest in regaining. And I put it in quotation marks: the glory days of the Soviet Empire. And at the heart of a lot of that is President Vladimir Putin, and he's all over the news for Trump and America and all that sort of stuff. But could you just tell us a little bit about? who Vladimir Putin is, where did he come from, who is he as a president? Uh, well, uh, uh, it is a well-known fact that uh, uh, Putin was uh, a KGB officer in Germany, in East Germany, uh, that he speaks very good German, uh, and uh, he's been there for a long time. Uh, and with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the collapse of the party, uh, he, I think he buried his uh, party card and uh, started a new life. And he started it uh, in St. Petersburg, that's his, uh, his uh, city where he was born. Uh, and spe spe spent his childhood. Uh, he started uh, to uh, work for the then mayor uh, of St. Petersburg. That was the era of just after the collapse of the USSR. Anatoly Sobchak was one of those new uh, elected uh, mayors, a very bright, interesting, and so on person. But uh, Putin worked for him. 
and according to some claims, it's already at that time when the uh, corruption started. Uh, but uh, I won't go into that. He has been, uh, he's turned out to be a very talented politician. He was at some stage head of the KGB, uh, or rather FSB, as it, uh, as it is called uh, now. Uh, but uh, um, uh, then he was selected by uh, uh, Yeltsin, the first president of independent Russia. Yeltsin has gone through several prime ministers. Uh, the reasons for this are not quite clear, but he stopped on uh, Putin, who was at that time not a very uh, well-known person and certainly not loved by the media or the population. His ratings were very low and uh, nevertheless uh, Yeltsin chose him as his successor and basically just uh, appointed him. He resigned and appointed him as, uh, as, uh, uh, as the next president. Uh, of course there was election after that and of course uh, uh, Putin won um, but not uh, with the ratings that he has now. Uh, so but Yeltsin must have seen some sort of talents in him. Uh, he either seen some talents in him or, uh, you see, Yeltsin was accused of corruption again, uh, also, so he may have uh, had a deal with uh, uh, Putin uh, about non-prosecution or I don't know. So that that is, uh, we, we don't know anything about it, but, uh, but uh, there must have been some reason. Or he saw that maybe uh, Putin is a strong leader, potentially. I don't know what he found in him. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he had uh, the choice among people who were in politics and around him for much longer, and uh, all of them were he sort of rejected. Yeah. Uh, so that is uh, that is uh, Putin. He is uh, he has a, a very good team of advisors, or he is a talented politician indeed. Uh, if you see how he deals with Trump, my God, it's uh, he can twist Trump around his finger. I think. Well, that is the question, Irina, and I want to. <laughs> that's a separate podcast. Is, that's uh, no. Why I'm does not the president going of the United the... <laughs> States admire the president of Russia quite so much? Well, he's a strong guy, but there may be other reasons. Uh, I think Trump admires power, and Trump admires people who are strong leaders yeah. uh, in their own right. So, at the time um, of recording, listeners, Trump has just uh, announced that he's going to overrule. Uh, Congress's instruction to impose sanctions on Russia, he's personally going to veto that and decline mm -hmm. to put sanctions on Russia, which has got us all scratching our heads. Okay, but that's a separate podcast, Irina. We, we can talk about that. Um, but just to come back to Putin, so what is his vision for Russia, would you say? And also, how does South Africa fit into that, or Africa fit into that vision? Uh, well, uh, you have mentioned empire. I don't think that Putin uh, thinks in these terms of empire, but he does think about glory days. It's absolutely correct. Uh, for him, uh, Russia is a world uh, of its own. Uh, it is not uh, 
exactly Europe. It's certainly not America. It has got its own values and its own religion. Putin has become very religious. Interesting. Uh, I didn't know that. No, he has. Uh, uh, and uh, that is a very important part of his behavior now, of his political behavior. You know, perhaps, that Russian Christianity is different from the Western Christianity, and there has been a centuries and centuries from almost from the beginning of Christianity there has been this hostility uh, between the two churches and so this opposition to the West it has not always been like that because when Putin uh, came to power uh, he tried to get closer to the West uh, at some stage he even said that Russia would join NATO uh, or or European Union or something like that. Then it was all gone. What um, era was this when he came into power when there was this rapprochement with the West? Uh, there Putin? wasn't really rapprochement because uh, uh, Russia had, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the first 10 years of uh, the existence of independent Russia. There were much closer relations with the West, but of course at that time Russia was a very, very economically weak state. Putin came to power 1st January 2000. Uh, so uh, that what that meant uh, was that first of all it was just at that stage when Russian economy started to go up mm. so he inherited good relations with the West or relatively good relations with the West but also what he inherited at that time was the Russian public, which was already annoyed by the West treatment, the West's treatment of Russia, because Russia was humiliated, you see. At that time, uh, the country was not treated seriously at all, neither in the military sense, nor in the economic sense, nor in political sense. It just lost its weight and it was treated as a defeated enemy, which was a huge mistake on the part of the West. It was a huge mistake. Uh, they they should have known better. But anyway, uh, under him, not because of him, but uh, uh, perhaps with his encouragement, the economy went, uh, started to, to get better. He was incredibly lucky with oil prices. That has been the what Russian economy was based on. Uh, and uh, uh, that is what was uh, uh, going on. You may remember that it started with about $30 per barrel and it just went over 100 and it was all in and the And people first... were talking about 200 That's yeah. how yeah. positive So it was. it seemed that it's just an eternal... Uh, turn up and Russia of course benefited enormously and uh, Putin's elite benefited and that's when the corruption flourished but uh, this is what uh, Putin's ideology is strong Russia militarily uh, economically uh, whatever is going on inside it doesn't really matter but it has to be strong Russia and pushing back against that humiliation uh, pushing back against that humiliation now about the empire uh, Putin wants uh, and many Russians perceive uh, today that uh, all these former 
Soviet republics, which are independent countries now, they are part of the Soviet world or Eurasia that culturally, economically, uh, and in every possible way, they belong to us. You stay there with your world, we don't go there, but leave us with our world, which includes, of course, uh, Kazakhstan, Georgia, Armenia, whatever, and of course in Europe it does include, first of all, Ukraine, yeah, but also Belarus and uh, the Baltic states and, and so on, because the Russian minorities are very strong there. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course Russian influence is now rather strong in Hungary and uh, Czech Republic and Poland. So uh, that is in Poland not so much, but uh, in these two but that is uh, that is the situation. So he's trying to recreate this Eurasian world around the uh, European-Asian mentality. And Russia is, of course, the center of it. Uh, Ukraine is crucially important in that if you don't have Ukraine, not necessarily as part of your state, but as part of your sphere of influence, uh, then you don't have Eurasia. Which explains why the Russians invaded yeah. Ukraine. Saturday, the 1st of March, 2014, I'm Anna Koyman. A Fox News alert. Crisis in Ukraine. Russian troops roar into the country, blocking roads and airports. And this morning, new reports that they are seizing control of missile bases. The latest on the tent situation straight ahead. I'm always interested by uh, strong leaders, strong men, and I'm thinking here of Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe or Paul Kagame in Rwanda. While they're clearly authoritarian, they are unwilling to abandon the accoutrements of democracy. So they keep up having elections, they still have a press, they sometimes even have opposition parties. But if they have elections, they're going to win overwhelmingly, <laughs> um, which always makes me wonder about their relationship with democracy. What is Putin's uh, attitude or, or uh, what is your sense of how he perceives the democratic project, democracy? Well, uh, it depends what you call democracy and what you call democratic project, because uh, uh, there are many ways uh, as managed democracy, uh, there is independent democracy and so on and so forth. So Putin absolutely is keeping the uh, trinkets of democracy, such as elections. Uh, and uh, uh, he allows, has allowed so far, even uh, a couple of independent newspapers. Uh, there is one very weak and more or less disappearing independent cable TV channel. Uh, but the propaganda machine and the use of uh, the internet and all that, it's so strong now uh, that he actually can allow absolutely free and fair elections. He will be re-elected and his party, despite the fact that it's not very popular, it would still be re-elected. He is enormously popular. He is enormously popular. He is enormously popular. And you see how Russian mentality works. In 2012, uh, he uh, said that he would be coming. He was prime minister. 
See, he's keeping the trinkets of democracy because he knew that after two terms, uh, according to the Constitution, he can't be a president again. So he put Medvedev in his place uh, and became prime minister. Uh, and then after Medvedev's one term, he uh, is returning as uh, president. So that was uh, uh, what outraged uh, particularly the politically conscious public in big cities and particularly in Moscow. There were huge anti-Putin demonstrations, huge. He's won the elections, that's okay. Uh, he would have in any case, but uh, then uh, his ratings were right down at that time. I wouldn't say down, down, but they were much uh, lower uh, than they had been before then. Uh, so then comes 2014 and uh, uh, the Crimea and Putin's ratings went right up. So he is just hugely popular. And, and he loved. is very popular, yes. And, and so this is Putin building, rebuilding a strong Russia. Um, we know that he's really sort of taking on the European Union and he's giving Trump a run for his money. Well, Trump seems to love him anyway. But where does Africa fit into this? Uh, there is, um, well, there are several reasons for uh, Russia's interest in Africa. First of all, it's business interest. Uh, of course, the Russians like and would like to have more deals with African countries, not just South Africa, uh, more deals, more uh, beneficial deals, which they can uh, get. They are selling arms to many African countries uh, and uh, they are selling technology. Uh, it was not only the nuclear deal, uh, they also built a um, satellite uh, for the uh, South Africans. So uh, there yeah, is. We launched a shared satellite uh, yeah, a few years yeah, yeah, ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, that was uh, that is uh, uh, a business side of things, and of course uh, the nuclear deal, uh, if. It happened. It would have benefited the Russians tremendously. It would have killed the, the South African economy. But you know, this thing well, we happened. We might still have it to look forward to. But okay. Yeah, that is true. Uh, so, uh, so this is one side of things. But the other side of things is that there is the common mentality. They are both countries which are part of BRICS, and BRICS. Uh, is uh, uh, it may be perceived uh, differently by different participants, but certainly Russians and South Africans are united in their idea of changing the world balance away from the West. Uh, it is, uh, I can't say it's anti-Western uh, union or anti-Western organization because, gosh, India and China, first of all, they have... Uh, very close ties with the West, and they wouldn't want the Western economies to collapse. But the Russians and the South Africans do have that common idea that the West is the enemy. Uh, whether it's capitalist or socialist or whatever, but the West is the enemy. Uh, and uh, uh, South Africans speak about it more openly than the Russians, but that element is also there. China, a fifth of the world's economy, 
almost a half of Earth's population. The BRICS nations are set to counter the Western domination, and they're banking on a new global order. Can the new BRICS bank balance the Western hold on international finance? Will the member states be able to cement their bloc with closer ties? And how will their rising strength reshape the world in years to come? The Russians need allies. They have been ostracized by the West. And they don't like it, so they need allies. And South Africa is again emerging as one of its uh, trusted allies. You know, we know that President Putin came to South Africa on a state visit in 2006, a big state visit. I think you say he had 350 people with him. You know, Becky was still in power. And we know that the Russian oligarch has been quite <clears throat> active in South Africa, lots of business deals, uh, Victor Vexelberg and some of his mining interests. And now we know we've, you know, we've spoken about the shared history. I guess what I'm actually surprised about is I'm wondering why there haven't been even more trade relations with Russia, uh, given the shared history and sort of mutual respect and love affair between Russian leadership and the South African leadership. Look, there were more meetings and more uh, visits. Uh, Putin visited South Africa again in uh, 2013, and Zuma visited Russia many, many, many times. Time. Uh, so uh, these contacts, the official contacts, are now wonderful and brilliant, and they do understand one another. And, and that's at the political want, level. That's political level. The economic level is much more difficult uh, because trade relations, uh, yes, South Africa does supply Russia with fruit. Uh, it has invented, uh, invested, the monthly papers have invested in uh, Russia. Uh, and it's not the biggest beer and in so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, the Russian goods. Uh, uh, is much more difficult what can Russia supply. It can supply technology, and it has been for some things, uh, but it's very far. They are very far from one another. And uh, uh, Russian produce, either agricultural produce or anything like that, can't, can't uh, export it to here. Uh, the car market, car production, uh, the Russian-made cars are bad quality, and they have always been, uh, so forget about that. Uh, Russia can supply technologies, and I think that in, that, in this sphere it is developing. It, it depends on South Africa, actually, how much of it it can and want to, uh, to absorb. Of course, South Africa can supply Russia with mining technologies, and I don't know whether anything is done in that respect or not. But trade relations are not that easy. They are two countries very far apart, mm. and it's difficult to find uh, the exact goods that can be exchanged, uh, exported, imported, and so on. Some of them have been found, as we've just discussed, but not many. So trade is one thing. Investment is a different thing. Uh, it's again, you have to find a sphere which is not occupied by other countries, mm. uh, and it's not easy. That is why the corrupt element comes into, into being, 
what can I say? It's it's not as easy as it looks, despite the ideology, despite common history. So, in fact, trying to find an area of mutual benefit and mutual yeah, influence yeah. is perhaps more tricky than with somewhere like China. Interesting. Irina, I, I have a last question which I ask all of my guests, um, which is could you recommend a, a book or some books that if our listeners want to learn a little bit more about South Africa and Russia might be interesting for them to, to pick up? Look, there are many uh, books about Russia, so I Including won't even go, go into <laughs> that. But uh, first of all, my book is not about Russia, it's about the history of relations between Russia and South Africa. and. Uh, uh, if somebody is interested in this uh, topic, it gives a very interesting outline of Russian assistance uh, uh, to the Boers during the Anglo-Boer War. Uh, it gives the uh, uh, outline of relations during the Comintern era, 20s, 1920s, 1930s, and uh, South African communist students coming to study in the Soviet Union and what they found. Uh, the relations during the war uh, many people have forgotten that there were diplomatic relations at that time and that they were very successful. The two countries were quite close for mm. a long time. There was a lot of admiration for uh, the Soviet Union in South Africa. It was very popular. Uh, and then, of course, uh, uh, the ANC and its armed struggle and the Soviet assistance to the armed struggle and to the ANC. And then, of course, uh, uh, the uh, collapse of that. That is why and how it all happened and why uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union and the change of the policy of the Soviet Union was important for South Africa. Uh, and the relations between NIS and the KGB, that is also a very uh, uh, interesting part of it for me. Uh, so yes, please, the book is called The Hidden Thread, Russia and South Africa in the Soviet Era. Uh, there are very few books that cover uh, such a broad uh, range of issues, but uh, there is uh, a book which I mentioned already, Vladimir Shubin, who was an official uh, of the Central Committee who was dealing with the ANC and uh, the Communist Party, uh, published the book ANC, A View from Moscow. There were two editions of the book. The first edition was in 1999. Uh, and it's a book which covers these relations in great detail uh, and uh, many people would find lots and lots of useful information in it. Uh, on the other hand, I can say that uh, 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 Shubin being a loyal and faithful communist and loyal to the South African Communist Party, not only to the Soviet one, uh, he uh, presents the official view uh, of the South African Communist Party on uh, events and uh, even on facts, uh, because although he's of course not uh, Reverend Pike, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, but he, for example, uh, assured the reader that Mandela has never been a communist, and uh, but we know so that's not true now. We now know that it is not true. So uh, 
it is a very interesting book, but take into consideration that it has these deficiencies. You're going to get the party line, capital P, capital Absolutely. L. Yeah. Um, listeners, I will put the descriptions and titles and authors of these books in the show notes. So if you haven't got them here, don't worry. You'll be able to look in the show notes and I will write the, the name and details of these books. And that just leaves me to say, Professor Filatova, thank you so much. It has thank been you, totally Jessica. fascinating. And um, thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to The Commute. I'm Jessica Van Anselen. Do you understand blockchain technology? Do you understand Bitcoin? Or are you just faking it so that you don't sound stupid at dinner parties? If so, we have a fantastic explainer in episode three, the idea of Bitcoin. We have a South African Swedish expert who will tell you everything you need to know about cryptocurrencies in super simple terms. Visit us at www.thecommute.co.za for more episodes. You can find us on social media, even though it totally kills me, or you can email me at thecommuteessay at gmail.com.